If you're uh, visiting today, great to see you. Welcome to Connect Church. My name's Dave, and I'm the lead pastor here at Connect. Uh, if you were here last Sunday, uh, you'd have seen that Casey, my wife, got to join me on stage. And uh, if you were here last Sunday and saw her, you're probably already disappointed that she's not here again this Sunday. And uh, equally disappointed that of the two of us, I'm the one that you're stuck with this Sunday, because she was brilliant. She did such a good job last week, and I was so proud of her. It took a lot of... Um, gentle persuasion, but uh, I finally convinced her to come and join me, and I was just real um, chuffed to see her up here, just kind of sharing what God uh, had laid on her heart about this whole thought of marriage and love. So let's jump into this um, series as we continue on. It's called Making Love Stick. We've spent about three weeks on it so far. We're going to wrap up this morning. We've been talking about love as a whole, but we have been talking a lot about love in the context of marriage what that looks like in the context of marriage. And I want to emphasize again, I I said this last week, but I want to kind of re-emphasize this week that we're not saying that because we're talking about love and because we're talking about marriage, that that if you're not married here this morning, that you're somehow missing the mark, that you're somehow uh, maybe second class. that, That really is not the case at all. If I got thinking about it this week, and um, the truth is that Jesus himself, he was fully human. He had wonderful relationships with his disciples and those people that were close to him. He taught about the beauty and the importance of marriage, and yet he himself didn't marry. So we're not saying here this morning that, that you have to be married, but what we are saying is that if you're married, or if you desire one day to be married, then we're talking about some things that um, you can read about in the scriptures that you can see um, taught about, about what it looks like to be married what it looks like in the context of marriage to make love stick, to make love last in those marriages. So we've had some good discussions over the last few weeks, but I really felt like to kind of wrap up this morning, we needed to go to the source of love itself. Because really, if you want to fully understand what it's going to take to make love stick, I think you have to to look into these words that um, a guy by the name of Paul wrote to a church in in Colossae, uh, the Colossians, the people of the Colossians. He wrote this in Colossians 1, 17. He said, he, talking of Jesus, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. In him all things hold together. You want to know what make love stick? In him, all things stick together. Jesus is the source of love. And I felt like as we're talking about this marriage series and we've had some great discussion. I've had people send emails and texts and talk to me and say, you know, what you shared there was really helpful and this has really got us thinking as a couple and we've actually, you know, we went on the date night that night and it was really helpful and there's been a lot of good practical advice And there are some great practical books you can read and seminars and conferences. And there's a lot that we can do if we're married to invest into our relationships. But I want to kind of finish off this series by saying, you know, if we really want to truly understand what it looks like to love, to have healthy love for our spouse, we need to understand love itself. We need to go to the very source of love. So there's a couple of thoughts I came up with. This is the first one. When you know you're loved... You can love. When you know you're loved, you can love. Here's what I mean by this. Let me explain through an illustration. So um, uh, right about Christmas time, just after Christmas, me and my family went to England uh, for 10 days. That's where I'm from. I'm not from Washington originally. Um, So we went back to England, and uh, we had a great trip, great time with my family, and uh, just a really good time. And and as always, when it got towards the end of the trip, it was time for me to go to the shops and pick up some supplies to bring back. 
Because whenever I'm in England, I stock up on some good English chocolates, candy, potato chips. I mean, I, I, I stock up. Now, don't judge me, okay? Until you've tried some cheese and onion crisps, you've not lived, okay? Walker's cheese and onion crisps, we call them chips. Amazing. So, so I discover on this trip back that near where my parents live, there's a Costco. It's brand new. Hadn't been there before. Then I discover that my Costco card from America works there. And I'm like, hey, we're not just going to go to the shops and pick up a couple of bars of candy. We're going to Costco. So after a trip to Costco, I come back to my parents' house. I've got a box of chips. I mean, it's like 50 packets of potato chips. I've got like multi-packs of candy, cookies. Casey's like, what are you thinking? How are we going to fit all that in the suitcases? I'm like, well, we don't need to take all the clothes back. <laughs> we could leave some here. <laughs> but somehow, we managed to fit everything in, and we had crisps, chips jammed in every nook and cranny, and chocolate in backpacks. And I'm, we got it all in, and we brought it back. And while you all kicked off your new year with resolutions of eating healthy and, and getting fit and losing weight, I was the complete reverse. I got back to America in January, and I'm like, woohoo! And I'm just eating English chocolate, and I'm loving it. And it's all over the house. And because we had so much of it, my kids are eating it. And I'm okay with that because we had loads of it. But you know, I know it started to happen. After a few days, maybe a week or so, I started to notice that the supplies were going down and that the kids were still eating it. So at that point, I did what any generous and loving father would do, and that is that I hid the rest of it. <laughs> I put it in tins and hid it in cupboards where they can't reach it. I've still got some Maltesers in a tin that my kids don't know about. <laughs> And they won't know about it. And I'm going to munch away on those because I just love all this stuff. But as silly as that illustration sounds, it got me thinking about love. It got me thinking about my attitude. When I had plenty, I was happy to share. I was happy to give. But when my supply started to run low, suddenly I held on a little bit tighter. I believe that love can be a little bit like that. When we fully understand love, when we fully experience just the amazing amount of love that God wants to give to us, I believe it affects the way that we love others. But when the reservoir of love in our life is running low, I think it has an impact on how we in turn then love others. Because if you think about it, how is that love there in the first place? Where did that come from? Well, for some of us, we may have grown up in very healthy environments. We had good relationships growing up, great love experiences. We're in wonderful marriages now. And, and the pool that we draw from is very full. But some of us, that may not be the story. Some may have grown up in a, an environment where there wasn't a strong amount of love, maybe a lack of love growing up. Maybe we're here in past relationships, maybe even marriages have drained and tainted our idea of love. And now we're in a relationship and that reservoir of love that we're drawing upon, it's in short supply. And this love or even sometimes this lack of love, it can actually impact and affect the way that we love others. Which is why I felt like we had to wrap up with this thought this Sunday as we close out this series. Because whether your reservoir this morning is a small puddle or it's Bowen Lake, which is a little lake just up the road here. It's like Washington's Lake Michigan, okay? So I'm trying to get local here, right? Whether it's a small or even a lake, neither of them compare to the Pacific Ocean of love that God has for you this morning. 
Whatever your experience of love has been growing up, whatever your experience of love is right now in the relationships that you're in, none of them compare to the Pacific Ocean of love that God wants to pour into your life. I believe that the more we understand that we're loved by God, the more we'll be able to love one another. And as we, as we get married, as we're in relationships and we're working hard in this area of love, the more we grasp just how much God loves us, the more it'll have an effect on how much we love one another. Justin already mentioned this, but what kind of led me to talk about this subject to close out this morning was something that Casey said last week. It was brilliant. I don't know if you caught it, but she talked about how in 19 years of us being married, it wasn't long ago, just a few years ago, that she really started to come to this conclusion and realize just, you know, I've, I've kind of got an unhealthy view of the way that God sees me, and it's actually affecting the way that, that Dave and I love one another. And she said, you know, I've spent some time now praying through that and talking to some people and, and helped me understand who I am in God's eyes, and it's actually helped me in my relationship with Dave and helped Dave in his relationship with me. And I realized that maybe that's true for many of us. We didn't realize this, but our own relationships are being impacted because we're relying on the love that we have for one another compared to the love that God has for all of us. One of the disciples, his name was John, and uh, he truly understood how much Jesus loved us. If anyone got the love of Jesus, it was John. And he wrote these, these letters in the New Testament. One of them is in 1 John 4, 7 through 8. He said this. He said, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. John's saying not only does love come from God, God is love. Love is God. He is the source of love in our lives. And I think sometimes the reason that we struggle maybe in our own relationships is we don't realize that we have this reservoir, this ocean of love to tap into as we understand how much God loves us. There's an author and speaker, her name's Brene Brown. Some of you may have heard of her. She, she came to fame a few years ago. She did a, a TED talk, if you've heard of them, and it was on vulnerability, and she just you know, kind of shared this, this uh, study she'd been doing, and, and suddenly it blew up. Everyone in the world was watching it, and everyone was inviting her to come and speak. I found on her website her biography. She lists herself as a, um, uh, where is it here? It's on the screen, studying vulnerability, courage, worthiness, and shame. That's glamorous, isn't it? That's something you want to be known as uh, being an expert in. But she talks about this, this whole idea of, uh, of the difficulty we find to admit that we're broken. The difficulty that we find sometimes to admit that we, we may need help, we may lack the love that we truly need in our lives. It's because we live in a society where we put on a brave face, where we, we make out that everything's okay. You don't want to show your weakness or be vulnerable, do you? So when it comes to love and our relationships, instead of acknowledging that, that we need love, that maybe there's a deficit in our lives there, that we don't feel the love that we truly want to feel, instead of acknowledging that, we just make out we're fine. And if we're not, surely this relationship we're in, surely that'll fix it. And we end up carrying that brokenness and that emptiness and that deficit of love into our relationships. And then we wonder why these relationships aren't working. We wonder why this, this love from this spouse isn't filling that, that emptiness in our lives. It's because we truly haven't grasped just how much God loves us and that really only he can fill that. 
You know, a big part of this is um, driven by something that she calls, Brene Brown talks about a lot, called shame. We don't want to acknowledge our brokenness. We don't want to acknowledge our weakness. We don't want to be vulnerable. And shame fights us on that because we feel ashamed of that part of our lives. She, uh, in one of her talks I found online, she talks about uh, the quotes you may have heard from Teddy Roosevelt about the man who entered the arena. It's a wonderful quote. If you've never read it, Google it. It's fantastic. It talks about this man who went into an arena and faced criticism and was knocked down time and time again. He got up and he brushed the dust down. And, and Roosevelt says, he is the hero. Not the people on the outside criticizing him, but the man who was willing to step into the arena, the man who was willing to take the chance, the man who was willing to say, at least I tried. And she talks about all of us facing these arenas in our lives and how deep down we know we should be there, but sometimes shame stops us from moving in. Listen to this clip from this video. That's what life is about, about daring greatly, about being in the arena. When you walk up to that arena and you put your hand on the door and you think, I'm going in and I'm going to try this, shame is the gremlin who says, uh-uh, you're not good enough. You never finished that MBA. Your wife left you. I know your dad really wasn't in Luxembourg, he was in Sing Sing. I know you, those things that happened to you growing up. I know you don't think that you're pretty enough or smart enough or talented enough or powerful enough. I know your dad never paid attention even when you made CFO. Shame is that thing. And then if we can quiet it down and walk in and say, I'm gonna do this, we look up and the critic that we see pointing and laughing, 99% of the time is who? Us. Shame drives two big tapes, never good enough. And if you can talk it out of that one, who do you think you are? The thing to understand about shame is it's not guilt. Shame is a focus on self, guilt is a focus on behavior. Shame is I am bad, guilt is I did something bad. How many of you, if you did something that was hurtful to me, would be willing to say, I'm sorry, I made a mistake? How many of you would be willing to say that? Guilt, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Shame, I'm sorry, I am a mistake. You know, this morning, God wants every one of you to know that you are not a mistake. He loves you so much. And sometimes I think shame causes us to feel that way. Some of us hope the relationships fix that, but actually it's this relationship that will truly help you understand that. So when God sees his creation, when God sees you, he sees someone who the psalm said was fearfully and wonderfully made. You are so precious in his sight. And here's the amazing thing, okay? God didn't just say he loves you. God demonstrated his love for you. On the first Sunday of every month here at Connect, we take communion together. We normally take it earlier in the service during worship, but I want to take it at this exact point right now. Because what we're about to do as we take communion is a representation, it's a reminder of just how much God loves you, just how incredible He thinks you are. That He was willing to allow His one and only Son, Jesus, to come to earth to die on the cross so that 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 gap between us and God that's caused by sin, by the wrong things that we do, that gap could be bridged 
through a relationship with Jesus because we'll never be good enough. Our brokenness, we'll, we'll never be able to fix that by ourselves. So God said, listen, this is how much I love you. Before you even knew me, I sent Jesus my son. You see, the problem is, isn't it, when we, when we don't realize just how much God loves us, then we put these expectations upon ourselves and it affects our relationships. It can affect our marriages. Later in her TED Talk, Brene Brown talks about um, how this kind of expectations, how it can be tough on a wife. She refers to a commercial from the 80s for a perfume called Anjolie. I don't know if you remember this commercial or not, but it featured this woman who uh, the line says, I can put the wash on the line, pack the lunches, hand out the kisses and be at work at five to nine. I can bring home the bacon, fry it up in the pan and never let you forget you're a man. Yeah. I think women watching that are looking at that thinking, man, so effectively, if I'm going to be a good wife, to be loved by my spouse, this is the expectation. I have to do it all, do it perfectly, and never let them even see me sweat. I'm not sure how much perfume that commercial sold. I think it certainly helped sell a lot more antidepressants uh, and anti-anxiety meds. But I think we bring these expectations that are put upon us into our relationships because we don't fully understand just how loved we are by God. One of the questions that came up, we asked people to text in questions through the series, and one was, I feel as if instead of my husband having expectations of me, that I often create my own expectations of what his wife should be and do. I often feel I do not live up to them, and therefore I don't deserve him. Is this common? How should this be handled? I'd say, yes, I think that is common. I think many couples run into that. And I think the best advice I can give you is to ask God to help you because you are so loved by him. Ask God to help you become fully aware of just how loved you, you are by him. That we don't do these to try and earn love. We do these out of the love that we experience of God in our lives. You see, I love this. Your goodness does not enhance his love. And yet at the same point, your weakness does not dilute it. What Moses said to Israel is what God wants to say to you this morning. The Lord did not choose you and lavish his love on you because you were larger or greater than other nations. For you were the smallest of all nations. It was simply because the Lord loves you. This morning, know that you are loved by God. Because I really believe that when you know you're loved... You can love. This is a journey that we go on. It's not a light switch moment. It's an understanding that grows and grows in our life over time. But when we fully understand how loved we are by God, it can dramatically affect the way we love others. You know, another thing that kind of ties into that is that when you know you're forgiven, you can forgive. When you know you're forgiven, you can forgive. The truth is that as we've talked about a few times during this series on, on marriage and love, arguments happen. Conflict comes, doesn't it? In fact, one of the questions I had was, how do you handle conflict between a husband and a wife when they have different views on parenting their teenage children? Especially when the kids end up pairing their, or playing their, their parents against each other. That's a great question. I think many of us probably have, have run into that. Case and I were talking about this just last week when we were together. We're, we're, we're different. 
We both had a different upbringing. We both have a different idea on, on, on roles as parents. So what we've had to do over the years is, is communicate a lot. We've both had to give a little bit of ground and say, well, I, maybe I need to change this or maybe you need to change. You know, and it's, it's kind of learning to, to meet, but communicating and then landing somewhere and agreeing on it together. Because there's nothing worse than your kids knowing that if you don't say yes, they know dad will. I was doing great at that until my daughter came along. I had two sons and then I had a little girl. And suddenly she's like, daddy, anything you want. <laughs> so it's agreeing together as parents and saying, no, this is the standard. This is what we're going to hold to together. Because parenting is one of those things that can bring about a lot of conflict in a relationship. It can bring about a lot of, you know, difficult conversations. You see, the truth is, conflicts will happen. G.K. Chesterton explained it this way. He said, I've known many happy marriages, but never a compatible one. The whole aim of marriage is to fight through and to survive the instant when incompatibility becomes unquestionable. The idea being that, you know, in reality, as a man and a woman, that we're not going to be the same page. We've got different upbringings, different views on life. So love is learning to, to live together in that incompatibility. Is learning to work through the struggles, work through the conflicts, to forgive when one another does something wrong. I can remember a while back, uh, one morning we were uh, kind of getting ready, and Case and I were in the kitchen, and uh, I could tell things weren't quite right. I was like, is everything okay? She goes, no. She goes, I had this crazy dream last night, and in my dream you were kissing another girl. I was like, really? She's like, yeah, and why would you do that? I said, well, <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> She's like, I'm just, I'm just mad. And she goes, I can't believe you. Would. I was like, well, I didn't do it. And like for a few hours, it was like tense. You know, I'm like, Case, you need to forgive me for something I didn't actually do. I didn't. So if we have a hard time forgiving for things that actually didn't even happen, how much more so when things do happen? These conflicts come about, don't they? And it can be hard to forgive. But the truth is, if we fully understand how much we've been forgiven, it'll be easier for us to forgive. Jesus tells a story of this unmerciful servant who was forgiven a huge debt. And then he sees a friend who owes him a little and, and gets mad at him. And the point the story is making is Jesus said, listen, if you understood how much you'd been forgiven, you would have forgiven that guy in a heartbeat. If we understood just how much God loves us, if we understood just how wide and expansive his grace is and mercy, how much he loves you and how much he forgave you, that same grace would then flow through you in your relationships with your spouses. When those conflicts arise, you would be tapping into that grace and that forgiveness with the one that you love. Let me finish with this final thought here this morning. I've said this before when we've talked about love and we've talked about relationships, and that is that love is a verb. Love is a verb. When we understand how much we're loved, when we understand how much we're forgiven, it changes the way that we ourselves love and forgive. But it's got to be more than just understanding. It's got to be more than just a light bulb going on. We've got to do something with that. And so this love we have for one another, yes, it's a feeling. Yes, it's an emotion that drew us together. But it's also a verb. It's a doing word. The relationship that you're in right now requires some work. Alanis Morissette, I found this quote this week from Alanis Morissette. She said this, love to me is a verb. Love kicks in for real when things get hard. Love for me is when I don't feel very loving. It's an action. Even
even the girl who expected rain on her wedding day, a free ride when she'd already been paid, and some good advice that she just didn't take. Even that cynical person understands that love is a verb. It's an action word. There's some, something we have to do. And I think Case and I, we, we were talking about this last week, you know, that in 19 years of marriage, even having Jesus in our lives didn't mean that things just happened. There was a, a decision we made. Love was a verb. We had to make a decision to work at this relationship. We found it easier having Jesus in the center of it, but there was a decision to work at this, to put some effort and some energy into this, to look for the needs of the other. When it comes to a healthy marriage, remembering that love is a verb, it's the key to remind you it requires work. But you know what? When it comes to love being a verb, again, we have a great example of this. Because God not only understood that love was a verb, God understood that love was a noun. Because God is love. God is love himself. So the noun love showed the verb love by sending Jesus for us. Love himself showed love in that he sent Jesus to die for us. And as we close out this series called Making Love Stick, I have to challenge you who come on a regular basis to connect. I don't know where you are. I don't know if you've grown up in church all your life or this is new to you. But as much as I want you to understand this verb love, that God loved you so much that he sent Jesus, I believe that, that we have a response as well. What are we gonna do, verb, with our love to respond to God. You see, I wonder if there are some of you who, who have been coming for a while and, and there's a line and you just, you're, you're right on the edge of that line. But you've yet to step across it. Here's what stepping across that line looks like. It's saying, God, I need you in my life. I understand that you love me and in response to that love, I wanna give my life to you. I wanna follow you. I don't want you just being a slice of the pie in my life. I want you being the whole plate. I want you to be a part of every part of my life. And some of you need to respond that way. Some of you need to, love is a verb. God's shown his love to you. Now you need to show your love to him by responding. You could be praying a prayer saying, God, I want to follow you. You could be sharing with a, a loved one or a leader here at Connect who you know is, is following Jesus. Hey, I want to I know more about this. I want you to help me in this relationship. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's saying, you know what? I've kind of put it off and I, I, I wasn't sure about doing it, but I need to get baptized. Next Sunday, you have a chance to get baptized. I want to make it as easy as possible for you. In fact, if we put up this slide real quick, you can actually just text this phrase, yes to baptism, so 313131, if you do this this morning, we'll explain the class, when it's going to be, we'll give you all the info. So you haven't got an excuse to leave this morning and think, ah, oh, I forgot to sign up. And maybe you've been holding off. Maybe there's a party who thinks, well, that's just something that kids do, or I don't know if I want to be on that video. You don't have to be on the video. But if you felt God tugging at your heart, as we've been talking about this baptism service, and there's been a part of you thinking, I really think that's something I should do. I, I want, God showed his love for me by sending Jesus. He loves me so much, he actually did something. I want him to see the, that I love him by doing something too. I want to step forward. I want to go public. I want people to see that I'm acknowledging Jesus as a part of my life. 
But here's the thing. To, to really understand love, we've got to know that we're loved. To really be able to forgive, we've got to know that we're forgiven. So as we close out this series, Making Love Stick, let's read that, that verse one more time from the very beginning. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You want to know what makes love stick? In him all things hold together. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for this opportunity to speak about this great subject over the last three or four weeks. I know for many people here, Lord, who are in marriages right now, some are going great, some are struggling. Maybe some are here this morning, Lord, because the marriage that they were a part of just didn't turn out the way they were hoping it would. And Lord, for many of us, we can't do anything at this point to change the past, but we can change what tomorrow brings. So I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that whatever it's taken, whatever it was over these last few weeks, whether it was a, a decision as a couple to spend more time together, a decision as a couple to try a bit harder, a decision as a couple to reach out and to get help, a decision as an individual to say, God, I, I don't want to jump into a new relationship because I think there's some stuff you want to work out in my life because of what happened in this previous relationship. Maybe it's someone here this morning who's young and, and is, is thinking that one day they want to be married and even now they'll start thinking through and praying through who they will be as a spouse and, and who their spouse will be for them. But God, I pray that every one of us will realize that having you at the center of our relationships, having you at the center of our lives, it doesn't mean that marriage is going to be a walk in the park, but Lord, it just, it just helps to know that the author of love itself, that love itself can help us to be loved, to feel loved, and then to love others. So help us experience your love more and more every day. In Jesus' name I pray.